Hello, welcome to the Thursday night postgame show. New thing we're trying out this week, starting with Georgia State's victory over Coastal Carolina. So we're going to break down the game and talk to you guys a little bit about how everything went down. Uh, just real quick as a primer, it was a 30-17 to victory for Georgia State, which the Panthers never trailed, uh, boasting a 17-3 to lead at halftime. Uh, throughout the game, three Panthers found the end zone for a score, and three field goals from Liam Rickman uh, lifted the Panthers to that 30-17 to victory over the Chanticleers. But, uh, gentlemen, thoughts on this game? Uh, Jordan didn't even mention it. Um, that was uh, Georgia State's, obviously, they won again, so that was the first time they were 3-0 and last week uh, when they beat Charlotte. So this week, this is the first time they've ever been 4-0. Um, and the and, first time they've ever been 2-0 to start on the road. Exactly. And that was a really good football game. Obviously, they ended up getting the result that they wanted. Um, I can't say it was without drama because there was definitely some adjustments that Coastal made in the second half that kind of gave you pause about Georgia State's ability to hang on but, and you know, we'll get into it as we get into this pod. I'm not ready to call this team different in a, in the like special sense, if that makes sense. But the one thing that I am noticing with Georgia, this Georgia state team is the ability to kind of let off the gas and still find a way to get the job done. And it's the complete reverse of the way that last year was when teams got momentum in 2022, it was almost certainly over Rhode Island had some second half momentum at some point this year. Uh, Coastal had some second half momentum this week. Charlotte had some juice early in the third quarter. Georgia state has looked at all three of those teams and said, okay, that's fine. And still found a way to get the job done. And I mean, it's you are seeing some really good coaching, but the players have just been executing at a very high level, specifically in the second half so far this year. Yeah, I think unfazed is the word I would say. And I feel like mentioned it a couple of times talking about how they responded you know, going down against Rhode Island, responded to Charlotte hitting their little run by getting a scoring drive going. And it was the same again where you mentioned uh, we're skipping ahead to the end here, but Georgia State was up 27-10, and it was basically halfway through the quarter. Coastal had gone on a pretty long drive there that ended on turnover on downs on the Sam Pinckney drop. Uh, Georgia State goes three and out, and there's, I think, exactly half of the quarter left to go. Pretty in a good position. Like Even if you punt it there and Coastal puts a drive together, that's going to be time off the clock, and that's still going to be cutting it to a two-score game you know, three, four minutes later, really times against them. The one thing that you basically couldn't have happen happens where Cade Loggins just never has the snap on the punt, drops it, can't get it. Uh, Coastal picks it up in the end zone for a touchdown. And at that point, it was like, the, that's the type of moment that haunted them last year. That's the type of moment that flipped a game last year, even though they were still in pretty good shape. Seven and a half minutes, still leading by 10. It was still going to take another one or two things to go badly. Uh, but in the past, we've seen that. And it was no better immediately met in the moment by Jordan Venzial going Superman, as Coach Elliott described it, on that onside kick the Coastal pulled right after that play. They get a field goal, uh, which didn't put the game away as far as scoring goes, because 30-17, Coastal still had a shot. But it regathered the momentum and put more points on the board, uh, which 
I kind of want to start there just as far as continuing on the theme of unfazed. This is some little numbers crunching I did ahead of this podcast that after opponents have scored this year, Georgia State's offense has been more consistent in putting up points in response than I feel like I've ever seen. The numbers are in 14 drives following an opponent's score this year. Georgia State has gotten a touchdown or a field goal on eight of those drives. Against Coastal Carolina, they did every time. All three drives Coastal ended up scoring points on, Georgia State responded with either seven or three points. And it just feels like that encompasses all of what we're saying about this being a team that is meeting those moments because they had leads in the second half in seven of the eight games. Or you know, yeah, in seven of the eight games they lost last year. It was because the opponents were getting scores and Georgia State was not getting them point for point that they were losing these games. And this year they have stemmed that just by being super resilient and staying with it. And that is ultimately kind of the story of this team through four games. And like, look, this is the best team Georgia State played, and it still feels like there's a couple more teams at least that uh, are going to be better. Like, there's a whole Tim Beck part of this story that we're, we'll, have, we'll get into. Uh, there was definitely some coaching stuff going on, just general, this Coastal team looks different than the one that Georgia State's played last couple of years. But this was an ESPN game on a Thursday night that everyone was watching, and when everyone was talking ahead of this game about, okay, they're 3-0, and but they haven't beat anyone. Coastal might not be the best team in the Sun Belt this year, but this is a someone you just beat. You did it on the road, and a lot of people saw it. And, uh, you know, I will, I'll push back on that because, yeah, this Coastal team might not be the same level of Coastal team that we've seen. Coastal is still 20-3 and three at home since 2020. And two of those losses are to Georgia State. You know, I know we do we do this the stupid, you know, home teams never lost in the series thing, but it's still true. Georgia State has gone to Conway twice now in the last few years against good to, you know, whatever coastal teams and has beaten them. And the thing that I came away impressed with this game is it's been the same, more or less the same recipe for Georgia State that it has been all year. I thought that. Coastal did a really good job in the first quarter. Um, you know, they had Georgia State had 60 rushing yards in the first quarter, but it didn't feel like they were really breaking away any huge gains. Um, you know, the the median, the intermediate yard yardage pickups were great. Um, you know, I really thought that Coastal was protecting, you know, the big play, which was fine. Um, I just thought that Georgia State's passing was much better. Um, you know, that was kind of the game plan. But the, uh, Georgia State just kind of wore Coastal down the entire game. You know, every time it seemed like Coastal would get a big third down, like they would force a third down, boom, there Georgia State would be with a, just an incredibly smart play by Darren or, you know, Marcus Carroll would pick up the, you know, the chunk play of like five plus yards or whatever that he would need to, to get the first down. And I mean, that's, I really felt like Georgia state kept coastal's defense out on the field and forced them to force them to stop them. And coastal just really couldn't. I mean, they only had 17 points at the half, but it's not for a lack of trying. I mean, you know, a lot of the, when Georgia state wasn't able to move the ball in the first half, it was just some miscommunication. Um, you know, they, 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 they only punted three times on their, in the first half. So. Yeah. I mean, Darren was 15 to 26 for 191 yards with the touchdown, no interceptions. 
it was definitely not the same Darren that was in Charlotte or even against UConn or Rhode Island. Like it was quote unquote, the worst passing performance George State had this year. But the thing that's been better for Darren this year, that I think has been the difference rather than the deep ball, as much of the story is about the big plays that they've gotten in the passing game, the intermediate stuff. And like the third down, like you were talking about that opening drive, they go out and they're three for three on third downs. Uh, two of them were passes for Darren and it was just staying cool, nice and easy, going through his progressions, finding the open guy and moving the change and keeping it going. And then eventually late in that drive, Marcus Carroll got a pretty big run in the red zone later. Darren capped it off with a uh, eight yard touchdown run where, and I put a tweet out earlier tonight about this. So like coastal was ready for the QB run. They clearly had guys in the box. They were keyed in on him, but Darren cut it back and just beat, the secondary to the end zone. Cause that's the other thing he can do. Like when you talk about Darren and the, the engine, the offense being engineered for him and these designed runs and it is a lot of scheme stuff. But the other part of it is he's still a really athletic dude and just, he beat him to the end zone. The thing that I enjoy the most about the empty set um, and announcers have started, they've obviously identified it because, you know, they watch film too. Um, but the there was a play in the second quarter, I believe, where Tyleek comes in motion. Um, it's still an empty set. And it's like, okay, Darren is probably going to run this. Um, and I, I don't think on that specific look he ran. I think there was a pass attempt on the play. Um, but then on the eight yard touchdown, you know, it's just like, it's, it's open and teams, they still can't teams have not found a way to stop it. And it's like, you know, that it's coming, you know, you're being smart by actually putting guys in the box because you either put guys in the box or you're going to have one-on-one somewhere on the field. And, you know, to your point about Darren and his decision-making this year, he's finding those guys. So teams are kind of having to pick their poison. And for the first time, I feel like the poison really is you'd much rather him running because he might actually avoid a touchdown at this point than, you know, having guys just end up being deep because they were one-on-one and just, you know, made a play. Yeah. I mean, coastal was kind of daring him to beat him with throws. You know, they were giving a lot of single coverage on the outside and they were, definitely keyed in on the run and he didn't hit as many of them. Like I said, there were some throws he probably wants back. He he threw a couple of maybe close to turnover throws that he hasn't really thrown a bunch, but I almost feel like that was just part of the game where he knew it was the, if he had to thread some needles, he was going to have to try it in this game. But there were also some that aren't going to show up in the stat sheet where I think at least two DPIs they drew on defenders. One of them was like going to be a touchdown for Robert Lewis in the end zone where the guy just tackled him to stop it. That eventually led to the second touchdown of the day. Uh, other thing on the early game is just Georgia State is now 35-3. and three, or Sorry, 34-2-3 margin in the first quarter of games. So like the old mantra that I feel like Coach Elliott had said less recently, uh, but start fast, finish strong. Uh, the starting fast has been happening in a major way in 2023. And they haven't been having to play catch up in any of these games and they never trailed in this one. Uh, and the other part of what I was talking about with Darren and the passing game and finding the right read is that it's weird to, you know, have not really talked about him as much as he has, as much as we have, because I feel like it's been a lot of quiet work, but I was not expecting Jakari Carter to be like a short, quick slant intermediate route guy 
just the expectation I had when we heard about him in the signing class was he's going to be like a slot guy, kind of like what Tyleek is like going downfield. And it hasn't been that way at all, but he's been exactly the little security blanket Darren's needed, kind of like a tight end almost uh, in the middle of the field, the short stuff. He's really shined in these one minute drills that they put together at the end of the half and back to back games, getting a field goal. And so it's, I can't think of the last wide receiver who has filled that type of role at Georgia state. And like, there've been good ones, but he is unique doing a lot of the little stuff. And I just wanted to point that out, led the team in reception this game four for 29. And uh, I think all of them either moved the chains or were in that drive that kept it going down uh, to get the field goal at the end of the half and really important, not nearly as flashy stuff, but I just wanted to shout out the Merrimack transfer for coming in. Like some of the guys on the defense, immediately filling a role that this team needs. The transfers have really, really done their job. And it's been a really impressive job of uh, going to the portal and targeting guys that are going to help this team win because you've seen it on both sides of the ball. I hate to backtrack, um, but I didn't have the stat ready when you were talking about it, but I have it now. Um, Georgia State has scored on their opening. They've got the ball first in every game so far this year. They have scored on their opening drive in two of the games. In the other two games, they have scored on either the first or second drive. So they've scored. So basically, at some point early in the first quarter, Georgia State has scored. Scripted plays are a hit. (laughs) Absolutely working. And that is really key. Because if you think about the way that all four of these games have gone, the momentum immediately starts with Georgia State. It's, it seems like, you know, they're getting the ball. They're either getting in the end zone or if they do have to punt on the next drive, they're getting in the end zone. And they have, like you said, this was the first game that they've given up points in the first quarter. They only gave up a field goal, but this is, that's the, that is, like you said, the script is working. That's how you want to play, you know, college football. You want to score first. You want to score often and you want to prevent the other team from scoring as early as possible. You want to force teams into uncomfortable adjustments, you know, and I think some of the, some of the adjustments have worked, you know, you, we saw, we saw that in this coastal game, you know, they definitely made adjustments as the second quarter happened and, you know, the second half happened, but a lot of teams have been taken immediately out of what they want to do against Georgia state because of the way that Georgia state's offense has been operating in the first half of games. And kind of just the general theme, general theme with this offense is no one has really taken Georgia state out of what they want to do. You know, talking about early in the game or just as the game goes on, there's been stretches in every game where, okay, a couple punts in a row, like it's been in the end of the second quarter, the last couple of games where, it's kind of been eerily similar where you had like the turnover on downs or the miss uh, a punt from Coastal in this case that set Georgia State up inside their own 10 that went nowhere. And then Coastal basically started the next drive in plus territory, kind of like Charlotte did. That ended up being the uh, first missed field goal of the day for Coastal. And I feel like we should take at some point a, a talk on just all the field goals that Tim Beck was deciding to kick in the game. Uh, but they they weathered that you know in this game they didn't give up any points in that stretch uh, they gave up 10 in that stretch against charlotte but they got the field goal to get the momentum back and so they've really been able to manage and do what they want to do against a lot of these defenses no one's really gotten them off schedule 
and the times where they have, they've they've weathered it. And so I think they're going to get some sterner tests, especially these next couple of games against the likes of Troy and Marshall's defense. And we're going to see what they look like at that point. But I think that's what's impressive is like it's just been steady, 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 not making the big mistake, not really ever getting that out of rhythm. And it's meant that you're leading in games and it's, you know, as you're sticking with, you know, run, 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 run these inside zones as the game goes on it started to hit. And then that's how Marcus Carroll ends up with 150 rushing yards, gets a couple of big ones. Uh, other one thing I want to mention with the Marcus Carroll, because obviously his most complete game, probably uh, running the ball, but he also had a 77.6 pass block grade on PFF. He I was about a to say, great job I, 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 I'm glad that he ended up getting yards on the ground because I think it was about halfway through the second quarter. Maybe it was the third quarter. I looked up after a couple of key completions for Georgia State, and I was like, you know who has been great today? Marcus Carroll. They had him be the sixth blocker on a lot of plays. And he was incredible, not just, you know, keeping Darren upright, like, you know, just chipping a guy and letting him get past. No, he was actually incredible. Like, I'm glad that you mentioned it because I was something that I had been meaning to say because he looked he looked great in basically every phase of what they asked him to do. And, you know, kind of circle back to the offense, maybe it comes up, but feels like a good time to transition to the defensive side of the game. And if you didn't look at the stats, it might surprise you to learn that Coastal Carolina outgained Georgia State in this game, 402 to 373. But the thing about it was kind of the same thing we've seen a couple of times. We saw with the Charlotte game where there were a couple of chunk plays for Charlotte, uh, for Coastal in this game. And at once it got into plus territory, the defense started making plays, started walling up. And, you know, part of it was, you know, it was a fourth and nine on that drive when Coastal was down seven nothing. They get an offside on the field goal. Uh, Tim Beck decides not to take the five yards, keep it as a field goal instead of fourth and four going with it with his offense, with his free time defending Sunbelt player of the year, Grace McCall, a quarterback. Uh, takes the points there. Later, uh, kicked a 51 yard field goal rather than go for it on a fourth and six and plus territory. Uh, settled for another field goal later, which is the one that hit like the, the the back part like it didn't hit the the upright it hit behind the upright and clawing it off that um the field goal choices were interesting and you just kind of you didn't do anything really except get the fourth down to set up the situation but you take those uh, at the end of the day i question those first two field goals especially uh but that was you know georgia state's defense got the stops to put them into that decision where i think they made the wrong call but it was, I don't know why Ben don't break is like a pejorative because the reality is, is in the Sun Belt, no one's defense is that head and shoulders better than everyone else's offense. So they're going to get those plays. But the thing with the defense, once again, is they were giving up some chunk plays, but they were not chunk play touchdowns. And they were getting the, the next play, they were making stops and they were getting off the field. I also want to, you know, push back on the bend part of it. I don't really think that they bent that much. Like, yeah, Coastal had what, you know, official big plays. They had 10 big plays. Okay, yeah, that's true. 
Coastal was two for seven on third down. Like Georgia State did their job, you know, and like, yeah, if you it's if you get to a lot of third downs because they're moving the ball and converting them for first, like, okay, I could understand the bend part of it, but they coastal in the second half was four of seven on third down. So, you know, that's fifty-seven percent. For the game, coastal was forty-three percent. I mean, yeah, you'd want that to be a little bit lower, um, but Georgia State absolutely did not bend for most of the game, and that was when Coastal was kicking those field goals. Uh, I think Coastal scored in the second half. Um, obviously, there was the you know special team score that they had. Um, this is a Coastal offense it. that has a three-time defending Sun Belt Player of the Year. A guy we know well, Sam Pickney, great receiver. Jared Brown, another huge threat. Decent group of running backs they had one offensive touchdown like yeah one time when they found the end zone it was the first drive of the second half and i mean like i i mean look i'm looking at his box score and he only had five total tackles two of them solo he had a half a sack you know which was the half a tfl gavin pringle shut down gerard brown Brown was a non-factor in the game and Pringle, it looked like Pringle was mostly shadowing him. There was a couple of plays where Brown went in motion and uh, was not shadowing him. But for the most part, they really just said, all right, here's the game plan. Uh, Brett Cleese is going to be on Sam Pinckney. Um, Coastal had a little bit more success there. A lot of, you could debate not when. Really most of I thought Brett Cleese had a good game. I, I was about to say, I thought he had a good game. I didn't love one of the two pass interference calls that went against him. Um, and then I think that Pinkney was moving the ball more in the second, like later on in the game when it was just like coastal needs something. Um, but I, I mean, Pringle did a great job of defending coastal. And I mean, they, they, you know, you, you see that the 104 yard rushing yards given up. I really, really struggle with this number only because it felt like coastal was not moving the ball on the ground at all. Um, I know that they, you know, like I said, they made some halftime adjustments, you know, 81 of those a hundred and something rushing yards came in the second half. Okay. I understand that, but coastal couldn't do anything on the ground. Georgia state's defense came to play from, from the go. I mean, they were, they gave Grayson McCall fits the entire game like you really could see his talent on display to not take more sacks than he did simply because he was just like you know what i need to move and i need to get rid of the ball and he i mean he was throwing the ball away he was you know throwing the ball behind players it is truthfully impressive that he still completed 26 passes and had 295 yards because george like he georgia state did not leave guys wide open and you know have huge opportunities the entire game like for 60 minutes like that was that was as close to bully boy football as I've seen Georgia State play. Yeah, to your point on 107 on the night for Coastal running the ball, they had 40 of those on that touchdown drive. And that was the one moment where it was like, all right, they made some adjustments. They ran some two back sets, the two receiver sets. Uh that they finally found what worked. And I don't know why they didn't really stick with it. Uh but the they rest almost of the they time, almost abandoned it on the drive yeah. itself too. Like the, <laughs> right. they they got to the goal line, I think, with another play. But the play before that, they went back to the like twenty one. No, not sorry, uh, the twelve personnel or whatever. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Like this this is clearly the only thing that is working. But yeah, I mean, 
the defensive front did a damn good job. They won all night on the inside stuff, uh, both the defensive linemen, but also the linebackers coming down and run fits. And even, you know, Ronald Cooper came down on an option run and absolutely waylaid McCall. And that was the other thing. We had talked about it in the pregame of like, McCall hasn't really been a feature and it just looked awkward. Anytime they tried to get like the option game going, it did not look like the old option where just very assured, very quick, like on that one where Cooper got the big TFL, it was just the most slow developing option I think I've ever seen. And that is the benefit of you having this new scheme where you have this extra, basically nickel star, whatever you want to call it, where you got another guy with perimeter speed and he was coming down and in run defense and got a free run at the quarterback and really laid the boom. And the other part of it was, you know, there were 15 missed tackles, I think, that Georgia State was credited with, and that was an issue on the touchdown drive. There were a couple of just, they lost guys. But there's a certain part of it that it's kind of like complaining if you're another team's, you know, doing a podcast for another team being like, why couldn't they get Darren Granger down? Or why couldn't they get Tyleek Williams down? Like, there is a certain amount of credit you have to pay to those backs are shifty. And Jared Brown is hard to get on the first move. Um, but aside from that, there were some other plays where a guy might have, been, might have gotten credited with a missed tackle, but another player got him a yard down the field. Like they were swarming really good on the perimeter. Like there were, I don't know what the yak ended up being the yards after catch um, because there were a couple of big ones. Uh, Mobley had a big one over the middle that he got some yak on Pinckney made, I think two guys miss uh, on a play late in the second quarter that they got some yak on, but all the rest of the time, it felt like every time a coastal defense, uh, receiver got a ball like on the outside on a little quick route, cornerback met him immediately, and they were just not getting anywhere on the second move, and uh, that also played a part. So you know, when you're shutting down, you know, not giving up that many of those on the quick plays onto the perimeter, and you're shutting down the main bulk of what they're trying to do inside in the run game, that's just a recipe for success. Can I also add on here? David, I think, can back me up that I've said this before the game, but maybe I'm just saying this after um, because it's safe to do so after a win. I never got the stags chatter from coastal people. There was like a, a vibe of like, thank God this guy is gone. Like, those defenses were awful. And I didn't entirely get it. Like, the 2022 defense was not particularly good for Coastal. And there were some games they gave up some bit. You know, they gave up 49 to Old Dominion, who's not a good offensive team in 2022. But, like, he was still in charge of those defenses in 2020 and 2021. And I think the difference was that they lost some really talented guys on that side of the ball, especially up front. And, you know, we see what having a good defensive front does in this defensive scheme. And so, like, there was a lot of like, oh, uh, yeah, finally get to go up against a Chad Staggs defense, and it didn't go great for Coastal. That's all I'll say there. Yeah, it didn't make sense to see stuff like that because Coastal, a big part of what helped them transition into this level of good is obviously, yeah, McCall is, you know, like you said, a three-time, you know. No one is denying belt. that the offense didn't, like, lead the, the track. Right. But the reason that got them to not just like, oh, we are a good, solid seven, you know, win team. They became a 10 win and higher team simply because the defense was at that elite level. When they t- like they took a step back last year, like, a, a, you know, a mild step back, not anything crazy. But a big part of that is because the defense was not as good as it had been, you know, the year prior. And when I say they took a step back, 
they still won nine games. You know, they lost to James Madison and Troy on the road to end the year last year. They lost the bowl game, which had, you know, we don't need to rehash. Obviously, the coach left, but, you know, a, a big part of last year that you could kind of tell as the season went on was just while Coastal was undefeated, they were still giving up a lot of points. You know, teams with offenses that weren't necessarily as potent as theirs were scoring a good bit of points on them. And that's, you know, that's just kind of. You, you got to look at that. and But a, a lot of why that is is simply just the guys that were really good for them the two years before, all those mullet bros, they graduated and they went to, you know, play professional football. Like, that's just how that works. You know, sometimes it's hard for G5 teams to retool at that elite level. You know, some some people can do it, but some people can't do it. So I, I, I agree with you. I don't understand why I heard people talking about it either. Um, but because also, it, all of that to say... Outside of a game where you get five turnovers, sack the quarterback eight times, these are the type of games and performances that is why Coach Elliott when got Chad Staggs run the defense. Because I don't think you're going to get those super great outings against a guy like McCall because the offense doesn't seem as good of a scheme to kind of max out the talent they have, but it's still a experienced quarterback. Like you weren't going to win this game 47-7 and just totally blow them out. But you did about as good as you could have hoped for knowing who you were going up against. And I think you saw this is the the height of the hire working out so far. You know, this was the best game they played against, you know, a quality offense with some really talented players. And it's again, it's really funny that they didn't get a single turnover. I thought, again, I thought they, the defense played really well. I don't even think they were close to getting a turnover. No, Every Yeah, the fumble that okay, that was not a fumble at all. Um right. And you know, I I I think Coastal put it on the ground like once or twice, but it wasn't like uh obviously you just said one of them wasn't a fumble and the other was like a, oh, it's on the ground, but like there was no Georgia State player around it. Like they didn't force any like okay this could be a pick or like this was you know a missed opportunity at a pick you know not you know not really so it's just it's just fun to have a game where you're dominant on defense in ways and you still aren't close to getting a turnover and still you find a way to hold an offense like that to 10 points yeah and i think that we're leaning into like the safety cores i think it's a good duo Ty G. Leach had his best game, 11 tackles to lead the team. He had a TFL or a half TFL. Jeremiah Johnson, six tackles, another half tackle for loss. Um, they were also a big part of that, along with the corners of just not letting the passing stuff beat you for big gainers, playing down in the run game, especially. And like, I feel like they are showing that they're a pretty salty pair in the middle of the field. And, uh, Again, like you said, Pringle, uh, the, the cornerback blitz is a hit because now it's the second straight week they've run one and he got a, a half sack again on that play that they ran a corner blitz. And you're still seeing those exotic looks only got the two sacks on the night, um, but that was an important one. Uh, they left and- a lot on the table. And I, I don't say this is a bad thing. You know, you want to see a defense get after the quarterback. I feel like they left so much on the bone that lesser quarterbacks than McCall would have not been able to get out of. Um, So obviously credit to him. Georgia state should have had more than two sacks. Like they were, they lived in that defensive, in that offensive backfield 
for the entire 60 minutes. And the other thing I wanted to say there, Anthony Bloom, Norfolk State transfer, made his first start in place of Pylon Dunlap, who left the Charlotte game injured, got his first sack. And it sounded like a thing where when they had recruited uh, Lamar Robinson, also from Norfolk State, and Anthony entered the portal, Coach Elliott obviously asked him about his former teammate. He was like, you got to get Anthony here. And it's a guy that we haven't really talked about a ton. It's the latest in a line of guys on that defensive line that quietly just start making plays, getting more snaps. See Thomas Gore, see Javon Dennis, both of whom became kind of the best players on the line. They started in a similar way where it's like, oh, got to take note of that guy. He's making his plays. Oh, he's starting now. And you're, you're seeing it again. So I don't know what it is about the defensive line that that's kind of the role that they're on with that. But it's another guy that, you know, I don't think we spend a single solitary second talking about him in the run up or when we did our defensive line preview. I just don't think he was a guy that we had projected to kind of feature the way he has. But especially with Dunlap getting hurt, he's been really important and had a sack to show for his efforts on Thursday night. Was John Trey Hunter a safety when he started at Georgia State? Yeah. Okay. I don't, that's what I was about he, to say. He, yeah. His, like, friend, he got a pick as a safety in the win against Western Kentucky in the bowl game. That's what I thought. He was kind of, he, at that point, I think, moved into outside linebacker from then. I get early John Trey Hunter vibes from Jeremiah Johnson, and I can't shake it. And the reason I say this is because last year when John Trey was an outside linebacker, he was everywhere. When the ball got thrown or if there's a runner who was on a side, you were probably going to have to get through John Trey to get a big game. Johnson shows up everywhere he is a heat seeking missile to the football and you know he might not have the same level of uh pop that we've seen out of pringle and leach um but i feel like he is always around and always finding a way to at least try to be involved with the tackles um you know not to totally derail your defensive line talk because it, it has been a very good unit but i did need to i i couldn't shake the comparison that i see because every time i see the six i'm like that there, you know there's john trey again and it's like nope that's absolutely jeremiah and again i talked about it with bringing in shikari carter and offering you production in maybe an unexpected way at wide receiver you basically got an antavious lane game from taiji leach in this one 11 tackles, a lot of them were on like the, the coming down against the run or swing passes to the run, running back where you got ahead of steam and made the tackle. Like There was so much worry about how are they going to replace Gore? How are they going to replace Jamil Muhammad? How are they going to replace Antavius Lane? And all the guys, they went one-to-one to replace them. Leach at safety, Kevin Swint at outside linebacker, Henry Bryant at nose guard have all fit that role to a T. And this was another game where you really saw that. Swint was the guy who got the half sack with Pringle. And it really is, I think, what you can point to is the reason the defense has kind of steadied and been, in this game, really good, is that those losses are not the factor that we thought they were going to be. And it's a credit to IDing the right guys in the portal and those guys coming in and, and being ready to, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of excitement, you know, going to an FBS program, new meeting new people. And all of them got introduced to Georgia State by everyone being pissed and being like, this offseason is about being uncomfortable. And so I have to imagine it was in addition to the general culture shock from just going to a new program, like you show up and it's like, 
everyone's ready to chew nails and get after it and you know new strength coach bring in that regime and so it's already an adjustment and it probably had to be an extra little bit of that and clearly they were able to do so because they've been key contributors for this defense as they've now had a solid start to the season the first four games yeah it's going to be interesting you know how things move forward from here I think we we put it off again. Uh, it, I'm a little bit worried just because it's the second week where there's been some special team stuff. And even beyond the big picture thing again, like there was a, a couple of times they had to burn timeouts before punts. Um, and then obviously the big one, Cade Loggins drops the snap on the punt. Coastal gets a touchdown out of it, which it's not really a special teams thing so much as like in that moment, guys just got to catch the snap. Like did, I don't even know if there's a coachable or teachable moment there because it's kind of like catch it. Uh, but obviously second straight week, the special teams have allowed a touchdown. Uh, not, not what you want. I mean, I, I, I struggle with this because a lot of my judgment on the special teams is clouded by a guy dropping a snap. Um, and yes, don't do that. You know, it probably wipes off seven points off the board that they gave up. And, you know, he immediately went to the sideline and was working on catching this like snaps and stuff. So like, how much can you really dog on him? But, you know, just, just, just clean it up is what I'll say. Like it, it, it did not harm Georgia state this time. But better teams will be able to take advantage of things if they're not as crisp. Um, And, you know, we've talked so much about how good the offense has been, how good the defense has been. I mean, hell, you know, this is a postgame show. We just got to the, you know, the special teams. Uh, And, you know, this this honestly, I can just say this has nothing to do with Rickman, who looked great kicking his three field goals. Oh, Um, we were going to get to that. Like, uh, yeah. But, Mr. Reliable, he has already taken up like five for five with your first five kicks as a college kicker. You can't ask for anything better. Can't. Absolutely can't. Um, I will just say, you know, let's clean up the returning. Let's clean up the decision making on kickoffs. I thought that was a little better than it was against Charlotte. So I will say that, um, you know, just just stop missing tackles and, you know, get get guys down and wrapped up a lot sooner because I didn't feel like Coastal was going to break off a touchdown necessarily, but they definitely had some, some, some good returns and some better field position because of it. And yeah, like I said, I think it's the first time I've seen in a game, a team have to burn a timeout when they were about to punt and when the other team was about to punt. Uh, but that happened. And it, it's one of those things where I think it was a fourth and nine when coastal was going to punt and Georgia state called the timeout and they were in plus territory. So the the reason why it plays like that, and if, if it's something we're getting lined up or having guys out there or whatever is the problem, it can get into an issue because if you give that other coach an extra 30 seconds to think about it, he might change his mind and decide to go for it instead. And it might cost you when you had an easy punt, just you're going to get possession back. And so that's the reason that stuff like that piling up is worrisome. The one where Georgia State called a timeout on their own punt, it, it felt like Coastal had a read that they were about to run a fake and from what I could glean from what I saw in rewatching it, Javon Dennis is not usually in the protection group there, and he was, and so they might have had it. Um, 
And so that was the reason for that timeout. In which case, like if you didn't feel you had to look for a fake punt, I'm fine with that timeout, but it's just like, it, it feels a little bit creaky. And that was the issue last year is this just like everything was going fine with the special teams. And then it would blow up in one big play. And I don't want it to get back to that point. Like, it feels like this team is, you know, for the better improved as far as meeting those moments when they come, obviously they followed up with another good special teams play where Jordan Venzial went crazy. Uh, and in his own admission after the game, he it was a, an instinctual read by him where he felt like a, a squib or an onside something was going to come after that. And so he played further up the field than he had been told to, and he was ready to do it and then surprised everyone, including himself, by his own admission, by how high he got up in the air on that one. And Rickman was great. Again, like there were positives in the special teams, but it just like you didn't cost you in this game and it didn't cost you against Charlotte, but it's two weeks in a row where there's just been messiness there that that was the issue last year. And you don't want to let it get to the point where it costs you a game this year, because that's just the ones that grind your gears the most. Like the block punt against ULM, absolutely brutal last year. The two against South Carolina, those all three of those plays swung those games and turned them into losses almost single-handedly along with some other stuff in the OLM game. So got to clean it up. And, you know, I still believe that they will. The first couple of games of the season were different. Um, and not every opponent that Georgia state plays will be tough. Um, so I still think they'll be able to clean it up. So obviously we brought this out uh, Thursday game, wanted to get back on the airwave, so to speak, before our regular pod, but definitely something we're thinking about doing on a more regular basis. So if you enjoyed this, if you have feedback, if you have ideas of like how you maybe want us to shape the conversation on this post game, what you're looking for, kind of in that immediate Monday morning quarterback mode, let us know. Um, I definitely you know look forward to having this pod allow us to branch out a little bit more and go maybe a couple minutes deeper in the immediate moment on these games and then take some more time during the week to dig into the next game and to other stuff, interviews we're going to have lined up. So uh, obviously all feedback is welcome on this. Uh, trying something new because of the Thursday game and might turn into something we make a, a real regular thing. So uh, with that, uh, I think we're going to leave the rest of our thoughts uh, for the midweek get into the upcoming game against Troy, get into more NIL stuff. Looking forward to that. And uh, basketball's around the corner. All right. So like Brady said, this is something we thought we'd try out this week since we did have the Thursday game. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed. Do let us know again uh, whether you want to see this for more games and especially as we get into basketball season, kind of splitting things up allows the podcast in the middle of the week to flow a little bit better and uh, we can take a little bit more time to break things down and discuss other topics. So again, thanks for listening. We appreciate you. We'll be back again on Thursday for our normal weekly episode, and we'll look forward to seeing you then.